Well, it is indeed a joy to be with you. Uh, man, what an incredible church and what an amazing presence of the Lord in this gathering this morning. And so, Pastor Caleb, Pastor Jeanette, thank you so much for allowing Jody and I to be here with you today. It is indeed an honor. I, I want you to, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're that you're not in a church auditorium, they're not in a church sanctuary, but instead you're you're looking in on a young mom as as she's putting her little boy to bed. She's tucking him in and she says a quick prayer and she leans down to give him that that last kiss goodnight and he looks up at her with these big puppy dog eyes and he says, Mom, when's dad coming home? And it catches her off guard and a, a tear rolls down her cheek and falls on his. And She looks at him and she says, baby, I, I don't know, just, just keep praying. She leans in and she gives him an, another hug and holds him for what seems to be a really long time. And then, then she slips out of his room into hers and she falls into her bed and that single tear now is just a steady stream because what, what she said to her son was only partially true. You see, she doesn't know if her husband's coming home, much less when he's coming home. Because he's 13 miles away and he's standing on a battle line and on one side of this valley is the army of Israel. And on the other side, is the army of the Philistines. And every day there's a giant that steps down into that valley and defies someone to come and fight. And so she cries because it seems like there's no hope. She doesn't just cry, she prays. But what she doesn't know is that her prayer has already been answered. It's been answered in the form of a shepherd boy. Today, there's a, there's a child that's looking for food in the Philippines. And they're crying out to God, not knowing that their prayer has already been answered, and it's been answered from a family in, in Tacoma. There's a, there's a church in Nepal that, that they're, they're, they're hoping for help, and they're they're praying and they're seeking the face of God for a miracle. And what they don't know is that that miracle is already provided because the church in western Washington has already given over $61,000 to meet their need. You see, your yes, your yes is absolutely essential because you are the miracle that God has for somebody else. You see, we serve a God of miracles. And friends, God has positioned you to be that miracle. So you know, those folks can't be here this morning. But here's what I will say. On behalf of 533,000 children that will go to school tomorrow and receive a meal, in Jesus' name, because of your faithfulness, because of your generosity, I want to say thank you. On behalf of 34,000 women that are currently being empowered, I want to say thank you. On behalf of 25,000 farmers that are currently being trained, I want to say thank you. On behalf of 31 million people that were impacted 
through the ministry partnership of Sound Life and Convoy of Hope over the last year. They can't be here today, but on, on, on behalf of them, on behalf of their voice, Sound Life Church, I wanna say thank you because you are making miracles happen across America and around the world. So on behalf of all of them, thank you. It's, it's, it's one thing to hear numbers. It's, it's another thing to, to be able to, to see faces and to know names. And so I, I want to, before we get into the word this morning, I, I wanna share with you a, a couple of faces and a couple of names. In December of this last year, I, I traveled 33 and a half hours of airplane rides um, some more interesting than others. I, I flew on the airline that is known as being the worst airline in the world, um, Lion Air. <laughs> it's an Indonesian airline, and uh, it, it's earned that reputation. <laughs> so we, we flew from, from Springfield, Missouri to, to Dallas, Dallas to Sydney, Australia, Sydney, Australia up to the Gold Coast, back to Sydney. Took a flight uh, that was supposed to go from Sydney to Jakarta, an hour and a half in, the pilot makes this announcement. I'm not making this up. He says, uh, folks, um, I've got some bad news. Um, the, the equipment that keeps ice from forming on the wings is not functioning, right? You ever, you ever be in one of those where you're getting way too much information? This pilot was way too free with information. <laughs> and he, he said this, he said, it's only a problem if I have to fly through clouds, but I can't figure out a way it's an eight-hour flight. I can't figure out a way to get from Sydney to Jakarta without flying through clouds, so I think we're gonna have to turn around. I think. Well, let me say this. I, I fly a lot, so I wasn't really nervous. The, the, the young me and the young Indonesian boy that was sitting beside me, um, he, was, he was pretty nervous. Um, if that wasn't bad enough, as we turn around and, and now we're in final approach to return to Sydney, the pilot comes back on again. And this is what he says. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you may, uh, we've been cleared to land in Sydney, and, and I want you to know this, you're in no real danger. <laughs> However, when we land, you may notice that the runway is lined with fire trucks. And here's the reason why. Because we've got a lot of fuel on this plane, we're coming in very heavy, and those fire trucks are there just in case the brakes catch on fire. Yeah, so <laughs> this Indonesian guy sitting next to me looks at me and he says, is he serious? And I said, listen, we're really, we're not in any danger, but you might want to look out the window and if you see something, say something. <laughs> so we went from uh, landing in Jakarta, got a new plane, made the trip to Jakarta, landed in Jakarta, Jakarta to Surabaya, Surabaya to Kupang. When we got to Kupang, uh, we got into, five of us got into uh, a Toyota Hilux pickup truck. We drove two hours out to uh, the edge of the Bimong River. Okay, this is the Bimong River. Now, when we got to the edge of the river, um, our in-country host explains to us, and to give you an idea of, of the distance of the river, you can kind of see there's villagers that are waiting on the other side of the river. Yeah, and uh, so, so, our, our uh, in-country in uh, host says, um, hey, got some bad news. The river's high enough today that we can't take the truck across the river, so we're gonna have to walk across the river. Yeah, I wasn't prepared for that. And, um, and so 
uh, in that the water is, it's crazy swift. By the way, I did at one point, I asked, honestly, not nervous, just out of curiosity, I asked, um, is there, do you, do, you, do you ever see crocodiles? And they said, normally not when the water's this swift. So, <laughs> normally not. So, hoping that, that today is the rule, not the exception. Uh, but the water was about waist deep, pretty swift. In fact, a 73-year-old uh, Indonesian gentleman by the name of Joel, one of the villagers, held on to me to make sure that I wasn't swept away and swept downstream. <laughs> so why were we crossing this river? We were, we were headed to the village of Bashala because six months earlier, as a pilot project, the first of 100 villages that we've identified in Indonesia that have no infrastructure and no clean water um, we had worked with the men in that village to dig a well. And so we were going to evaluate what had happened in the village and to see if it was a good candidate for uh, our children's feeding, women's empowerment, agricultural initiatives. This, by the way, this is Joel. Joel is the gentleman who held on to me to where I wouldn't be swept downstream. If you look at his size and my size, I mean, God bless him for wanting to try. Um, but if I'm going, he's, he should just let me go. <laughs> and you may notice that, that Joel is actually, he's the size of about a 10-year-old boy. It's not because of genetics. It's because of stunted growth. It's because of malnutrition. Because Joel has lived in the village of Bashala for more than 70 years. And they live there, they eke out a meager existence. I'll show you another quick picture. I want you to see this little boy. I want you to notice the look on his face. And here's the reason why he's looking in such amazement. You see, for him, he doesn't understand that water is clear and it's not brown because this is the first time in that little guy's life that he's ever seen clean water. And Sound Life Church, I want you to know that he can't be here today. But on behalf of him, can I say this to you? Can I say thank you? Thank you for being willing to say yes. As God encourages you, as God challenges you, as God impresses upon your heart to be obedient, thank you for saying yes. Let me show you one more. This is Dorcas. Dorcas, what an amazing smile. Dorcas is picking chilies. And uh, she, she grows a garden right next to her thatched roof hut. And she grows vegetables in her garden to feed her family and if there's any excess, she will walk seven and a half miles to the nearest market and she'll sell her chilies in the market. And Dorcas would make about 50,000 rupiah each year selling chilies in the market. Now 50,000 rupiah might sound like a lot of money until I tell you this. The next day, uh, I was in Jakarta and I bought a pair of tennis shoes for 1.3 million rupiah. Unless you think I'm buying crazy expensive shoes, in American dollars it ended up being about $84. Before we even begin to do women's empowerment, just because Dorcas has regular water because of the drip irrigation that's provided by the well, her income from her chilies has gone from 50,000 rupiah per year to 50,000 rupiah per month. Her income has gone up 12x because somebody in Tacoma was willing to say yes. 
So this morning in our time together, I want to talk to you about the power of yes and the position of yes and the payoff of yes. Would you do this? Would you, if you got your Bible or your, or your electronic device, would you turn to, to Luke chapter five? And, and, and in the fifth chapter of Luke, Luke, it starts by saying this, that as Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, some translations would say the Sea of Galilee, some translations would say uh, Lake Kinneret, Jesus is standing beside the, the, this lake that is, that is there on the, in, the, in, the, in the northeast corner of, of the area of Israel. It's a, it's a lake, it is... It is about, at its widest point, it's about seven miles wide. Longest, it's about 13 miles long. And it's shaped like a harp. And so that's the reason why it's known as Lake Genesaret, the lake of the harp. And Jesus is, he's at the top corner of, of Lake Genesaret. And he's there, and it tells us that he's there beside the lake. There's a, there's a crowd of people, and they're, they're crowding in on him as he's teaching them the word of God. Tells us then in, in verse two that there at the there at the seashore there are two boats left there by the fishermen who are washing their nets. Here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice this: that when we're given the opportunity to say yes to God, oftentimes, in fact, more often than not. It's going to come at a time that's inconvenient. It's going to come at a time that's inconvenient. In Luke chapter 5, it's the story of Jesus' interaction of Simon, who will eventually be named Peter. And we know this because we know the rest of the story, right? We know that God has an incredible plan for Peter, that he has an amazing destiny for, for, for Peter. And the ripple effect of Peter's life, the ripple effect of Peter's ministry would touch us even today, dramatically. But at this point, Simon Peter has no clue of that. He has no clue of, of, of what's in store for him. All he knows is this, is he's had a rough night and he's tired and he's there on the seashore and he's washing his nets and he's mending his nets because what he's done is this. All night long, he's been out on this boat and he's been taking a net and casting it, this was the type of fisherman he was, they would take these launch nets and he would cast it and pull it in. Cast it and pull it in. Cast it and pull it in. And on this particular day, no doubt, as he's there at the seashore, he's tired and he's frustrated because I don't know how it is for you, but in those times, in those moments where life doesn't seem to work, it's very easy for fatigue to set in. And Simon Peter had been out on the sea all night long and caught nothing, nothing. And so he's, he's there and he's, he's just wanting to get the work done that he needs to get done to where he can go home and rest. This is not a good time for him, for him to have an interaction with Jesus. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered this. In my life, in my journeys, I talk to friends, I hear the story over and over again. It seems like every time that God taps us on the shoulder, more often than not, it comes at an inconvenient time. And I'll tell you why. Here's the reason why, friend. Because if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Let me say that again. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Let, let, me, let, me, let me illustrate. Sir, did you, 
at any point in the last two days, did you think about robbing a liquor store? Did anybody? I'm so glad no hands went up, because if it did, I would have had to completely change my sermon. Right? So here's, see, here's what the enemy knows. The enemy knows this, that he can't convince us to be bad, right? Because of the, the work that God is doing in us and the moral compass that we have. But can we talk about the struggle? Can we talk about the opportunities and the obstacles that seem to come every Sunday? How the enemy tries to keep us from church? Right? The opportunities and the obstacles at every, when there seems to be a ministry opportunity, because the devil can't make you bad, friend, he'll make you busy. And so, what you're gonna find is this is you're gonna find that there are gonna be moments, there are gonna be opportunities, there's even gonna be seasons where God is calling you, He's looking to you to say yes to Him. And you're gonna go, God, this isn't a good time. How about tomorrow? How about next week? How about next year? God, how about once I get my kids through school? God, I'm, I'm just a few years to retirement. How about, how about you get back to me once I've punched that time card for the last time? And I, I wanna encourage you in this, that God's timing, often it will not make sense to you, but it is always ideal for you and for him. So it tells us that, that Jesus, in, in, in Luke 5, 3, it tells us that Jesus says to Simon Peter, well, at first he just gets into his boat. Doesn't even talk to him. Gets into his boat and asks him to push the boat out from the water a little bit. Uh, any, any, any fishermen, any boaters here? Okay, so I want you to imagine your boat's on the shore right? You're, you're, you're taking care of your tackle, taking care of your, your gear, and some dude gets into your boat, right? Hey, what, what, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, hey, uh, listen, uh, buddy, can you, just, can you just push out from the shore a little bit? Here's what I've discovered. When God is speaking to me, when he's speaking to us, when he's speaking to you, and it's, it's those moments that it, it's, it's time for a yes, not only, not only is it often inconvenient, it regularly comes at a cost. And, and for, for Simon, the greatest commodity that he has in this moment is time, right? Because again, he just wants to get done with the task that he has to get done to where he can go home and lay down because... Before he knows it, he's gonna have to get back out in that boat and go out into the deep and fish because if he doesn't fish, his family doesn't eat. So the last thing he wants to do is to be a tour guide. But there's Jesus and the crowd is pressing in. Jesus gets into the boat. Simon takes him and he puts out into the deep. Here's what I want you to notice. And, and by the way, if you get nothing else out of our time together, I, I, I hope you grasp this. Because it's so easy to miss this. When, they, when we read the story, it's so easy to wrongly conclude that, that Simon responds to a need that Jesus has. Because when we look at this in the natural, Jesus is there teaching, the crowd is pressing in, he's trying to teach, he needs space, the only thing that works is to get into the boat and to push out a little bit. 
But if we know about Jesus, here's what we know. Jesus doesn't need a boat because Jesus has the ability to walk on water. And so when Jesus gets into Simon's boat, Jesus doesn't get into, into Simon's boat because if Jesus has a need. He gets into Simon's boat because he knows that Simon has a need. And oftentimes what happens is this. When we're put in a position that requires a yes, when it's a yes that's asking us to give of our time, to give of our talent, to give of our treasury, and it's an inconvenient time, and it's a cost that we don't feel like we can even manage in the moment, and we think that we're being asked to respond to a need. The church has a need. There's a need in the community that we want to respond to. There's a situation that's happening globally that God's calling us to be a part of the, his solution, a part of his miracle. Oftentimes, we can th wrongly think that we're responding because of somebody else's need. But friends, let me tell you something. God spoke and it was. And so God has the ability to meet that need. And so when God asks you to say yes, it's not because he has some need that he needs you to meet. It's because you have a need that he wants to position you to be right in the middle of his favor and right under the spout of his blessing. Oh, don't miss that. Because here's what I know. I know that there are many of you today, because I know as I pray that this is what God told me to speak on today, that, that God's getting into your boat. And it, it's not a good time. And it's coming at a cost that, man, you don't think you can make that investment right now. Because here's what you're gonna find. You're gonna find this, that not only is it inconvenient, not only does it come at a, at, at a cost, so often it doesn't even make sense. Look at what, look what Simon Peter says there in, 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 verse, in verses four and five. He says this, master, or some translations say teacher. Master, we fished all night and caught nothing. Listen to what he's saying there. Jesus, you're a really good teacher. Uh, but I don't know if you noticed, the boats aren't out in the water right now. The boats aren't in the water right now because this is not the time to fish. Right? There's a reason why we're on shore. Okay? And any fisherman will tell you, there are times when the fish are there, there are times when the fish aren't. There are times when the fish are biting, there are times when the fish aren't. And there are times that it just doesn't make sense. It is a lesson in futility to be out on the water. And the fishermen out on, aren't out on the water because it's not the time to fish. Master, we fished all night and caught nothing. But because you say so. Another translation puts it this way. I love, I love the wording of this. But nevertheless, at your word. And here's what I have found. I have found this, that if we live our lives with that disposition, with that mindset, with that heart, with that commitment, because you say so, nevertheless at your word. God, I, I get that it, it's not gonna be convenient. I get that it's gonna come at a cost. And I get that if I try to figure out in my head what you're asking me to do, what you're asking me to give, where you're asking me to go, what you're asking me to do. 
because you say so. And the reason why, the reason why this is so important is what Simon doesn't realize when he got to the shore that morning and he had no fish, right? And, and, and it seemed like his need was unmet. So Simon probably, Simon probably was a little bit frustrated, frustrated with the moment, maybe frustrated with his fellow fishermen. Is it possible that he was even frustrated with God a little bit? Right? See, I know you as Jehovah Jireh, the God that will provide, and yet there's no fish in my boat. And what he doesn't realize is as he's over there mending his nets, that God has a plan not just to meet his need, but to take him to a place of abundance. But please don't miss this. Because our God is not a God who fuels selfishness. It wasn't just about Simon. Because when you read the story, Simon, he, 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 walks, in, he walks it out in obedience. He says, yes, nevertheless, at your word, because you say so. And notice this, that he goes out and, he's, and he throws out the nets. He's pulling in so many fish that it, his boat can't contain him. It's gonna swamp his boat. And so he has to call his friends and other boats to come and help. And here's what I know. I know this 33 years of ministry. I know this from just countless miles of walking it out with God. That what God wants to do is God wants to pour the resources of heaven into your life and he wants to pour the resources of heaven through your life because what God wants to do is this. He doesn't want you to simply survive. He doesn't want you to just succeed. He wants you to live a life of significance. You see, Scripture tells us that life is not meant to be endured, it's meant to be enjoyed. See, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to its full. But that abundant life that God wants you to walk in, that blessing that he wants you to experience, it's not just for you. See, it's a testimony for your children. It's a, it's a testimony to your coworker. It's a witness to your classmate. It's that light that God wants to shine to your neighbor. And it all comes down to this. Am I willing to say yes? God, am I willing to say yes even though it doesn't fit my schedule? It doesn't line up with my agenda. God, am, am I willing to say yes even though, even though it seems to come at a cost that, that is more than I can afford at this time? God, am I willing to say yes even though when I try to reconcile it in my head, it doesn't make sense. Friends, this is, 
This story in Luke chapter five, it's the moment that Simon steps into his destiny. And you saying yes, as God taps you on the shoulder, it's the moment that you step into your destiny. So here, here's what I'd like to do. Uh, here's, here's how I'd like to, uh, to close uh, my time with you. In just a moment, Pastor Caleb is going to come up. He's going to close out the service. But I'd like for you to do this with him if you would, if, you, if you'd afford me this. Would you stand with me? And I'd like you to do this. Hold, hold, out, hold out your hands. Okay. Let's go. Everybody do it. You can do it. Trust me. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. All right? I'm not going to ask you to, to, to touch your neighbor or anything like that. Right? So. But I want to talk to you for a moment about your hands. See, if I belong to God, then my hands belong to God. Right? So I want to pray a prayer with you about your hands. But I'm going to tell you, before I lead you in the prayer, I'm going to tell you what we're going to pray. And I'm confident that it'll, that it'll resonate with your heart. So here are the three things we're going to pray. God, because I belong to you, my hands belong to you. So God, anything I'm holding on to in my life that you want, I give it to you. Listen, don't pray it if you don't mean it, okay? What this means is this. It means, God, if I've got a relationship that's not honoring you that I'm holding on to, if I've got hurts, friend, I, I could take a whole, a whole another hour to talk to you about hurts. I'm the 12th of 13 children. My father died when I was seven years old. And within two months of my father's death, my mother had a new man living in the house that was a violent, drunken child abuser. Hospitalized me four times, tried to kill me three times. So easy to hold on to those hurts. Resource. Talent, ability. What is it that you've got in your hands that God is asking you to give to him today and, and it's your time, it's your moment to say yes. God, whatever it is that I'm holding on to that you want me to give to you, God, today it belongs to you. Number two, God, my hands are open to you. So whatever you want to put into my hands, resource, relationship, responsibility, ministry, whatever it is, God, you want to put into my hands. God, you want me to teach a class. God, you want me to serve in a ministry in the church. God, you want me to go. Here are my hands because number three, God, whatever you want these hands to touch, they will go wherever you want them to go and they will they will minister however you want them to minister. Is that a fair prayer? So I want you to do this. I want you to, to, to I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, like, just, like, just like old school children's church, uh, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and I'm just gonna ask you to repeat after me. Dear God, I thank you that my life belongs to you. And because my life belongs to you, my hands belong to you. So I stand with my, my hands outstretched to you. And whatever I'm holding on to, whatever that's in my life that I'm supposed to give to you, God, I release it to you. 
right now. In Jesus' name. And God, whatever you want to put in my hands, ministry assignment, a resource, a relationship, God, I receive it in Jesus' name. And God, because my hands belong to you, wherever you want them to go, whatever you want them to touch, they are yours. Use them for your kingdom. God, your word says that whatever, whatever we bless, you bless. I speak a blessing over every family, over every home, over every marriage uh, that's represented here. Every, I speak a blessing over every business that's represented here. God, I pray that the greatest days of sound life would be in the days to come because of what you're doing in and through this amazing church family, this amazing group.